Okay, so we're on um, <clears throat> part three. It's the final part of, um, of this particular section where the gospel has now been brought to the Gentiles. Get this right, yep. Yeah. Um, and I did say last week, this is kind of repetitive a little bit. We're, we're recapping in this section uh, in Acts 11. Um, because Peter is now going to tell the others, the uncircumcised, sorry, the circumcised believers who were uh, with him, or not with him at the time, uh, why he ate with uh, uncircumcised or unclean uh, Gentiles. Uh, and so today we look at the final part of the momentous event that's the opening of the gospel to all nations and to all people. And last week we looked at Peter's gospel message to Cornelius, the Gentile, spoke all about Jesus and the need to repent and believe in the one God sent. And I told you last week this would be a repeat of what happened. And they're gonna, we're going to see that they criticize, it says the word criticize, contend with Peter. They are contentious towards Peter. But I won't be uh, repeating the sermon from last week. You'll be pleased to know. I didn't try and shortcut it and just repeat the sermon. Uh, this is a new sermon. Uh, but we will be looking at two things we didn't look at last week. Uh, one of them is the Holy Spirit being poured out onto the Gentiles for the first time uh, in front of the believers that were with Peter. Uh, and the second thing is the granting of repentance that leads to life. What does that mean? What does the granting of repentance that leads to life mean? So for, I suppose for an application, what I hope we can draw from this is an important aspect of what the sermon is and how to use it correctly, um, how to challenge, but to do that in the mindset of openness as to what, as God might be, what God might be teaching us or showing us when things are not done in the way we think they should be done. Uh, and there are many sermons, as we'll come on to these verses, uh, many sermons I've seen uh, use this passage to speak of handling criticism and hostility. I think, I think that's too simplistic in my view. There's so much more to this uh, as we'll certainly see that the criticism, whilst it is a bit harsh that they criticize, there is something in it that is good. And I want to draw that out today. Uh, probably many people wouldn't agree with me, but I've seen something helpful in this because later on we'll see Peter, and chronologically we'll see Peter, if we look in Galatians, uh, go, go backwards a little bit. He will actually go back to not eating with Gentiles, not being with Gentiles, and we'll see him get told off by Paul. So it's not strictly that we're looking at the, the criticism is about how we use this to, I don't know, shoehorn a lesson into how church people should be respectful of their leaders and not criticize them. Um, that's not what this is about. I don't think we can use it for that. Um, but we do need to, I think we can learn from it, uh, this sense of discernment. How do we discern and how is it helpful uh, to point out things that, that may need pointing out? <clears throat> I think what's important is to observe the interaction uh, between um, Peter and the circumcised believers uh, so we get a better idea why the believers criticize him in the first place, but then also accept his account without further objection. Uh, the application is uh, being alert to perceived errors, but also open to accepting that which is right by God and that which he has ordained to be done, even if that isn't what was done before. We're, we're no matter what person you think you are, and I think I'm a person who loves change, I have my comforts. I have things that I like. 
and I don't want to change. There are things that we sometimes don't want to move on. We say, I'm all up for change. And then when suddenly God says, I'm going to test that, I'm going to, I'm going to push that a little bit. And you go, whoa, whoa, I don't want to change that though. I don't want to change to, to doing this because I've always done this. But I, I want us to show that this can help us in that. So let's move on to our verses. Uh, Acts 11, verses 1 to 18. Uh, and it says, The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Uh, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, uh, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of, of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in a city of Joppa praying and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to them from Caesarea, stopped at the house where I was staying. Where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. Is that the next one? He told us he'd seen, that was a delay there, sorry. He told us how he'd seen an, an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you, you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as, he, as it had come on us at the beginning. And a really important point uh, that we're going to talk about there as well. Uh, but then I remembered, he says, uh, what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So that's what we're looking at. So let's see where we are. When we see Peter uh, here in this time, he's gone back to Jerusalem. The word has already got around. I don't mean the word as in the biblical word. I mean uh, word, gossip maybe, has got around uh, that he's spent time with Gentiles and that he's, uh, they've received the word of God. The problem now is that Peter is back with believers who were never with him when this event took place. What we learn in Acts 10 is that the believers that were with Peter did actually witness the event when the Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles who started speaking in tongues and, tongues and praising God. I think what is helpful about this reaction that we need to see of the believers who are with Peter, I think helps us to understand the reaction of the believers back in Jerusalem. So going back to our... Um, whoops, I've gone too far. I've gone the other way. There we go. Uh, Acts 10, 44 to 46. So this is from uh, last week. He says, well, Peter was still speaking. These words, the Holy Spirit, came on all who heard the message. Uh, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Look at that strange same wording. 
Uh, for they heard them speaking in tongues, praising God. Then Peter said, I should have ended that before. <laughs> he says, he's poured out on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. That's kind of where we end our bit. So first of all, this reaction. What's the reaction of the, of the circumcised believers that are with Peter at the time? This reaction helps us to understand that it really is the Holy Spirit that's working in that moment. And so conversely, Peter says to the believers back in Jerusalem, in Acts 11, verse 15, as I began to speak, I mean, these are all links, he's just retelling what happened. The Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. So we know that they all know what it means and what it looks like to have the Holy Spirit come to them. They recognize that, first of all, this is really happening. It's, it's not a, a self-generated um, experience they're trying to have. They're not trying to force uh, this experience they recognize, because it's happened to them, they recognize what it looks like to, be, to have the Holy Spirit come to them and to experience it. They know. Really important that they, we, we know that they know. But the reaction from the believers of Peter in chapter 10 says that they were astonished. They were astonished. The reason why they're astonished is because they're saying, how can God bless them, give them the same Holy Spirit that he gave us? How do, how do they get what we've got? And yet they recognize it. They knew it was God, the Holy Spirit. And I firmly believe that we can probably safely assume that the six men who were with Peter and entered the house would have the, the same response as the believers back in Jerusalem who accept that God has granted repentance to Gentiles. The same thing again, he says, they said at the end of our verses today, even to Gentiles. The believers who with Peter says, even to Gentiles. But whether it was the believers who were with him or the believers that later criticized Peter, however the approach, they both took the same journey to acceptance. And so I want to give a little bit of a defense to these people, to the circumcised believers. We can all sit here, and I've read so much about these particular verses, and we can go, oh, how silly of them. How silly of them not to know that God was working. If, if, if I went on a mission somewhere and I said, the Holy Spirit, it came down and the place lit up. Everyone was worshipping Jesus. I think you would probably believe me, but there's something there that... You haven't witnessed it. You haven't quite seen it happen. And so you want to say, well, but how did it happen? What, what actually took place? You tell us all in these big, great big Christianese, the Holy Spirit came down and everyone was just on fire for God. But how did it happen? Perfectly fine. No problem with that at all. So I don't think we should rush to judgment on the people that are criticizing. We, we, may, we, may, we may question their approach and say maybe we should just ask questions. We don't need to criticize. But you need to remember the position that these people are in. Circumcised Jewish believers. 
they were astonished and confused by what had happened. All the circumcised believers accept, accepted that it was God granting repentance. So the reason I think this is all helpful is to understand the context of where the circumcised believers are. This is where we need to understand why do they criticize? The charges against Peter are simple. You, who are supposed to be a faithful Jew, associated with and even ate with Gentiles. This would have offended these Christian Jews, so they contended with Peter. To them, they have not seen the work of the Holy Spirit in the Gentiles. These people have not seen this happen. And we must remember that sharing a meal together was a special sign of fellowship in this culture. This, for them, was considered to be a significant compromise by those Jewish Christians. And so it would be easy to say, why, why would they do that? It's easy for us to look back on the Bible and say, how could they not see it was God? But this is, this is a new time for, for Christians. This is a new time for Jewish circumcised Christians. It was no longer going to be exclusive to Jewish believers, but now it's going to be opened up to all Gentiles, to everyone across the world. It was going to be opened, and it has been opened, to us. So we need to acknowledge that there's a major change from our perspective, not from God's perspective, but certainly from our perspective of how people were living and how they practiced their of the circumcised Jewish Christians. So there's, there's always something good in this. There's always something good. It's not all bad that they make sure that Peter hasn't been led astray. I think it's good that they say, Peter, what happened? What's going on? Are you getting involved in some sort of strange new cult of Christianity or, or strange new branch of Christianity? What is happening? Part of what they're doing, I think, is just making sure that he's not getting into some wacky new age stuff that he really is hearing from God. Now, criticizing, or in other words, being contentious, might be a bit on the strong side when confronting Peter. But remember, for them and everyone else, this is a seminal moment. This is going to change everything. For everyone at that time, it would be the biggest change in regards to who God was going to reach with the So there is some justification here in discerning what is right and what God actually wants Peter to do. Yes, of course, they're holding on to what they're used to. Of course they are. But they weren't really to know that until Peter came to tell them. So I just think we need to be careful in not making this text about opposition and hostility in church today. That's not what this is about. But what brings them to the point of acceptance that this is God's handiwork? What convinces them that they should 
Be silent, says the original text. Be silent, praise God, and accept that this is what God is doing. Is it that Peter puts up this really good, convincing account of what happened? Is he almost like a really great lawyer that can debate an argument really well? Is it that he witnessed with them, uh, he had witnessed with, with him that he could verify his story? They had witnesses, people who saw what happened. Is it that those people helped to convince them? I think they played a small part. God putting in these little things in order to just help people who, Peter, who he knew Peter was going to encounter and say, hold on a second, is this the right thing you should be doing? But here is what I believe convinces them. In verse 17 of our reading, so if God gave them the same gift he gave us, the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? You see what Peter's doing? They say to Peter, why have you gone against tradition? Gone against the things we're used to doing? And he says, stop looking at me and look away. Because I'm not going to save you when you get to heaven. I'm not going to bring you salvation just because I'm going around. The Lord Jesus that's going to save you. So what he does, he says, who am I? No one. Doesn't he say this last week? We looked at this with Cornelius, and Cornelius, said, uh, Cornelius bows down to him, and he worships him almost. And he says, I'm just a man, Cornelius. Get up. Get up. Same here. Who am I to stand in God's way? You see, with Peter, there's still the humility there to take on this challenge. And as Peter recounts the events, there's a humbling going on in the hearts of the believers who contend. But Peter does exactly what what God did to show him what to do next. Peter, Peter's recount of the events is really crucial in helping believers discern if this was of God or of Peter's own doing. We see that it says, who am I to stand in God's way, Peter says. I don't know how this is said exactly, but I like to think that Peter's almost saying it with empathy towards the people that are challenging him. He almost says, I don't actually know what's happening. I don't really know what God's doing. In the way it's doing. I wonder if Peter thought the same and he said, well, I... At first, I didn't think I should eat with the unclean Gentiles, but God told me I should. But if God did the same thing in them and he did in us and we believe in Jesus, then who am I to think I could stop it? And I think Peter's saying here, he says, he says I get it. I know how this looks. I know what you think this might be. But what happened to us when God's salvation was exclusive happened to them who were once excluded. Then it must be God doing something, and they now must also be part of God's plan for redemption. The 
response in the original translation of the believers who are contending with him. They were quieted, it says. They were silent. What's their second response? They worshipped and glorified God. Psalm 141 verse 3 says, Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I think they're learning this lesson. Watch my lips, Lord. Tell me when something's not right. Tell me when it's not honoring my Lord and Savior. Psalm 62 verse 5, yes. In God, my hope comes from him. ESV version says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. Wait in silence. They became silent. The Jewish believers in Jerusalem first react with a stunned silence, but then they glorify God because they saw he was now working among, among the Gentiles also. It was demonstrating that the hearts of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were soft enough to be guided by God. Now we need to be real here and say that whilst they embraced the principle of welcoming Gentile believers to the faith, it would actually still take some time before they got past all their objections. This is why we just can't write this off, because as I said earlier, what we find is that Peter kind of goes back a little bit, and Paul has to correct him, because he starts, he starts moving away, doesn't eat with the Gentiles, he eats with the people, with the circumcised believers, it says. Isn't it amazing that God gives grace? He gives grace. But this is where I think this can help in showing us what discernment might look like. Philippians 1, verse 9 to 10 says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I think there's something of that here in the early days of the new church. I think there's an attempt to discern what is right in this new way. I get that they were being traditional in their approach, discerning what God was doing, but that is why God gave them Peter to guide them. It, as, as, as fallible as we all are, but he still gave Peter to them to guide them. God put someone in place who would be able to both be teachable, but also a teacher. To be discerning and patient himself, who continues to learn to be patient and discerning himself so that others could learn what that might look like. Romans 12 verse 2 uh, says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God is teaching them all in this moment. Always discern but not by what the world tells you to discern by. Instead, renew your mind that it may no, long, no longer be anchored down in what you think you know. 
you must be able to, in your Christian lifetime, recount so many occasions when God has done something that you hadn't expected. Done things in ways you don't necessarily agree with. Instead, the soul is so be transformed and understandable and perfect to him, not to me, not to you, to him. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. Something different. I'll read this out. Um, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's able to understand because they are spiritually discerned. Making a point two things. Worldly discernment is different from discernment. So, how do we spiritually discern? James 1, verse 5, simple principle. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given. You see, once they heard about what had happened with the Gentiles, they were silent, they glorified, worshipped God. Then they were able to discern that it was God's will to give repentance to the Gentiles that leads to life. For me, the statement that the believers, that even the gent from the believers, that the Gentiles have received repentance that leads to life is a great leveler. Understand what is going on in this moment in our verse here. In verse 18, I've got one John. I've missed one verse. Forget that one. <laughs> but verse 18 in our reading, Acts 11, verse 18, said, When they heard this, they had no. Then even to the Gentiles. God has granted repentance that leads to life. I said last week it might be a different experience each person has to trust in Jesus, but it's the same treatment for everyone. The cure to our sinfulness is repentance that leads to life. It doesn't matter who you are or what you think you deserve, everyone is treated the same when it comes to repentance. You see, if the Jewish Christians understood repentance and accepted they needed to do that to come to believe in Jesus, then imagine the gravity of this moment as God reveals to them that the people they despise, the people they wouldn't help even if they were dying, when all said and done are in exactly the same position as they are when it comes to righteousness in God. That is why it's a great lever. That is why they struggled understanding it. Are you telling me I'm the same as a Gentile? Are you telling me I'm no more worthy than a Gentile on my own? No man is righteous, not one, no one. So not only do they get the same offer to repent, the Gentiles now get the same consequence of repentance. A repentance that leads to a new life in Jesus. 
So God brought this all together to reveal to them that no matter which place you are from, the life you have led or the road you have traveled, everyone is now offered the chance to start again when they trust in Jesus. Everyone. I'm going to leave you with this verse, 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know when you just need a simple bit of theology? 1 John 1, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth and your heart, he is faithful and just, as in he keeps his promises, and he will forgive us because he said he would of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness because then we are only righteous because we're in Jesus. When all is said and done, we're all worthy of hell, but God has made a way so that we can come to him in heaven. Isn't that amazing? The unworthy has been made worthy. I think it's... it's the right time to have communion. I think it's the right time today to think about these, this verse especially. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let us pray and then we'll have worship, communion, and then finish again with worshiping God uh, once more together. Uh, let's pray together. Father, we just want to now bring, we want to confess our sins to you. And Lord, I'm, I'm well aware that this is, um, a, a, in more recent times, a thing that is, is not, is not promoted It, 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 it's not, people don't want to think about confessing their sin. But Lord, how can we not want to confess our sin when we see that what it does is cleanse us from all unrighteousness? My speaking from my heart does amazingly spiritual, heavenly, life-changing repercussion things to me. I'm no longer unrighteous because I'm in Christ's righteousness. And, and really all I did was say, I am a t I'm a person who is capable of the utmost evil, who doesn't deserve the salvation of Jesus. But because I know that and I confessed it, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Father, we want to worship and praise your name. We want to come together to understand the power of, of, of carrying out communion together, to understand its power in bringing us back to earth, as it were, the reality of who we are and why we need Jesus. Father, thank you that you hear our prayers. Thank you that you hear our worship to you. Thank you that you love that we worship you. 
Lord, we just pray now uh, that you prepare our hearts as we come together and worship and, and commune together to understand the spilt blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for all these things. Amen.